I'm in the cafeteria. I will never touch these things again as long as I live. It's a mozzarella frozen uh, cheese stick. <laughs> All right, I'm in the cafeteria. I'm in in in, uh, in Kobo or something like this. All right, I I eat this. I'm eating a mozzarella cheese stick, and it get caught. It gets caught in my throat. I can't make a sound. I can't breathe. I'm looking around. Everybody's just moving around like this. I'm thinking, I'm turning blue. I'm dying here. And nobody is even paying any attention to me whatsoever. I'm going, this is the way they treat the faculty. I had to grab a chair myself. I take the chair and I just go, bam, it gets my chest, and out came the cheese. <laughs> that is not what I thought you would say. <laughs> <laughs> it came out the right end this time. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, man. So, uh, but, but I'm thinking <laughs> I was this close to just suffocating to oh death. So, and, and I'm guessing, no, I, I, th- at that point I saw headlines again, too. You know, uh, <laughs> union professor <laughs> chokes to death on cheese <laughs> with every student around him and none of them paying any attention whatsoever. <laughs> oh, so that changed your life and that you'll never have a cheese stick again? No, I've, I've never had one since. That's and that people said, hey, you want to cheat? No, I'm staying away from those things. <laughs> so, so, so. They're not good for you anyway. But, oh, no. so, apparently not. <laughs> I don't know if you've you've gotten to see like a, a coffee seed, but that's yeah. what the beans are. It's just a seed of the of the coffee cherry, um, and they come. They're green, so they're called uh, like it's called green coffee, pretty much. So that's unroasted coffee. Okay. Um, we then take, say, our Ethiopia, um, you know, weigh it out to how much we want to roast, put it in the like the hopper up, up top, uh, and then we get the the roaster sufficiently heated. Uh, and then we'll drop in the coffee, and there's a like a spinning drum mm-hmm. with some paddles inside of it to keep the coffee moving constantly. Uh, and then we have some burners under the barrel that heats the barrel and then heats the coffee. Um, and then you have uh, airflow that you can control to kind of manipulate the speed in which it's being roasted. Um, and then, you know, <clears throat> you have... A couple phases so the, the drying phase is typically the first one where most of the moisture is being removed and then you have the browning phase um, which the bean starts to brown that's called um, a mayored reaction so that's just the okay. kind of when you sear a steak that's a mayored reaction is when, okay. when whatever is starting to brown um, and then you have <coughs> just the development phase and once it gets to a certain point of development that I think um, you know all of these phases coming together represent a good coffee Uh, then i'll drop it into the cooling bin and then we'll have uh, some airflow to quickly cool the beans so that they don't continue to cook and development is just continuing to get darker yeah so it's it's uh more so um you could you could talk about it in terms of light and dark roast we don't typically do that because like uh say a columbia you could roast it for the exact same you could put it you could put it uh, in the exact same roast as an Ethiopia, and it could end up being darker than the Ethiopia. So the development would be the same, but the color is not. So we don't like to talk about uh, beans in terms of light or dark or medium or uh, city or full city or whatever mm. you know those terms are. Uh, we just try to, like I said earlier, get that 
the most sweetness out of every roast that we can. Are there different? Are different coffees harder to roast than others? Yes, um, definitely. <laughs> uh, more so with uh, the the different processing methods. So you have washed coffee, mm-hmm. uh, and you have natural coffee, and then you have some stuff in between that. So natural is where the cherry of the of the coffee plant is left around the seed for an extended period of time, um, which makes the bean typically sweeter and it absorbs most of that uh, cherry-like flavor. And that's where you get the infamous, you know, uh, blueberry note from the Ethiopia. Um, So those, because of the moisture content being a little different, um, typically are harder to control in the roast. So Mm. once you hit first crack, they'll just take off in terms of um, you know, how much temperature that is rising per second or per minute. So you have to account for that before the roast, and you have to kind of account for, for that almost a minute before that happens. Um, so that's kind of why, uh, you know, roasting can be so difficult is because you have to um, kind of anticipate where it's going to be a minute ahead or, mm-hmm. or a minute ahead of where you change something. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, makes sense. Yeah, it's it's a very very late reaction to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting. It's got to be super satisfying though when you get it right yeah. after all that math. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, you always think I could have done better. Wow. Uh, and it's it's that's where a place that I was about um, six months to a year ago. Of I would go into other shops and then critique, uh, and I would taste mine and critique. What could I do better? Taste whatever and critique uh, until I I just started thinking, you know, I'm just going to drink it and I'm going to like be happy with mm-hmm. what I'm drinking because it's good. It's still good. Uh, and I'm I'm not going to be as consumed of the thought of what can what can make this better. Mm. Um, so since then, it's been a lot uh, less mind boggling, I guess. You said something similar at one point. You said you didn't want to become so much of a coffee snob that you would turn down a cup of Folgers or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I would, uh, like certainly do that, you know, six months or a year ago, um, to where now I'm just at the point where I'm just going to drink it. Like whatever yeah. it is, it's, I mean, it's coffee. Uh, and you, you have benefit from that too. Cause, um, when we, when we taste, when we get comfortable tasting the same thing, our taste buds change to, um, you know, adapt to what we're tasting. Okay. So uh, if you were to drink, if you were to hate Madeira coffee, but decided I'm going to, I'm going to drink it every day for two months. um, By that second month, you would start to really like Madeira coffee and enjoy it. So there was a study um, amongst, um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was, in some kind of in, in, in Hispanic culture to where um, anyone that they observed that was under five years old uh, really, really hated chili powder. But everyone that was above five years old had chili powder on every single thing that they ate. Wow. And what they concluded essentially was <clears> that <throat> social pressures and consistency in tasting this thing because the parents would put the chili powder on everything mm-hmm. and so they had to eat it. Um, ends up kind of changing your preference for for what you eat. So uh, it's very beneficial to 
go to Starbucks and get a cup of coffee or drink a cup of Folgers to compare it. Mm-hmm. And then you can have more clarity in, in the taste of Madero coffee. Mm. Um, Is that the big difference between Starbucks and places like Madero, the roasting process? Is that where the big difference happens between um, what you get at Starbucks and what you would get at a place like Madero? It's, it's kind of split between um, roasting and then brewing. Oh, okay. okay. So the ratios and stuff that you use. Because so. I think a lot of people know that there's a difference. They can taste a difference, mm-hmm. but they couldn't necessarily tell what the difference is. Yeah. So Starbucks is typically a darker roast okay. um, pretty, pretty consistently. Um, they also use blends. So when you see um, like a Kenya or a Columbia from Starbucks, for the most part, it's a blend of a lot of coffees from Colombia or Kenya. Um, and what that does is it makes a more cohesive coffee flavor mm-hmm. rather than uh, allowing you to pick out certain notes, um, which is super beneficial for Starbucks. So if I go to Japan uh, and I get a cup of Colombian coffee, it's going to taste exactly like the Colombian coffee that I got in Jackson. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a, a fantastic model yeah. to be able to provide the exact same product. So same thing with like a Hershey's chocolate bar. In December, it's going to taste exactly like it does in July, even though coffee or even though chocolate isn't grown all year round for the most part that they Uh get it. So they're just able to combine a bunch of different chocolates into this bar to make it taste like a cohesive chocolate flavor. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So if I get a cup of coffee from Starbucks, I'm drinking the product of multiple farms versus one single farm. Mm -hmm. That's that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah, and then also the the darker roast profile or the more what we would call um, um, developed roast profile uh, allows more cohesiveness, so you're adding more of the roast flavors that can kind of mask any of the inconsistencies amongst the coffees. So, I really like bass because it's... Uh it adds a fullness to the music without being distracting. Some of the instruments, when they come in, you notice them right away. Yeah. And it almost takes away from the experience. Uh-huh. But bass, it it adds so much, uh, and you don't even realize it. Yeah. It's, it's like the music in a good movie. With a good movie, you don't even notice the music playing, right. but if it wasn't there, you would definitely notice. Yeah, right. And I think that way about bass. Well, yeah, it is It is more of a kind of an atmosphere than a than a sound but uh here's an apocryphal story for you i I used to work for the newspaper and we had a um kind of um, locally famous columnist named dolores ballard and uh for one column that she wrote for thanksgiving uh she based it on the uh disposable roaster roasting pan that she got for her turkey um, the bottom of it uh, was imprinted to support the bottom. So she wrote this column about, you know, in this holiday time, we have to be sure we support the bottom, you know, speaking of those in need. But that's what the bass does as well. It supports the bottom. <laughs> so right. I find it very, very fundamental. Yeah. It's a very fundamental truth. Yeah, yeah. It's a burden for us bass players, I'm telling you. <laughs> What's it been like for you getting into percussion? Uh, it's been the best. Um, cause you didn't, you didn't grow up playing any instruments no, or anything like instruments that. Instruments were like the last thing ever. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> both of my parents, neither of them, um, have ever 
picked an instrument up hardly. Um, so I always just figured that, you know, I would, there would be, there would be no instrument playing for me. And <clears throat> the first instrument I ever picked up was my senior year of, of college. I guess it was actually junior year of college. And uh, my roommate had a ukulele, and he taught me one chord. It was the C chord. Okay, and for those of you that don't know, it's one string on the third fret. And I played the crap out of the C chord. Man. <laughs> like, you can ask my roommates at the time, but I would, it, it blew my mind that I could make a pretty sound come out of an instrument. Yeah. Um, and I had no clue. I'd have to hand it back to him and have him tune it, and then I'd play the C chord again, and then he'd tune it again. And, <laughs> and, and that we, thing didn't, never kept a tune anyway. <laughs> yeah, so no. It's, it's like a $30 ukulele. Um, but uh, that, was, that was my introduction to playing music. And, um, and then I got to the point where I knew four chords. And I wore those. I, I still, those are still the only four that I know. C, G, A, and F. And they're all right up there. At That's the, all you need. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, you know there's a Beatles song that has one chord. And it's C. So you can actually play a Beatles song. Well, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so... Isn't the isn't the isn't the um the song um put the lime in the coconut dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I think that's all C too. Is it? Yeah. Um but anyways, uh so playing the ukulele. Do we have to play a, a pay a royalty now for that song? <laughs> oh goodness. I think that's fair usage. I think you were off key enough. I yeah. Think <laughs> <I did that. laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um well, that's one thing I've noticed real quick. I want to hear more of your experience, but real okay. quick, that's something I've noticed. Since you've gotten into instruments, you've actually gotten better at singing. Well. The Williamson family is historical for not being able to <laughs> carry yeah. a tune. You can always count but, on them to throw it off key yeah. in the back right. But you're actually, that's actually changed. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's weird because the instrument that you play every week on Sunday is percussion. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't involve the notes at all. Yeah. But I've noticed that you sing more on key than you used to. Yeah. Well, I can't cool. do it by myself. It has to be with somebody. I can't hear it in my head and then match it in my head. It's got to be, I can just match what somebody else is singing. Okay. I'm I'm that way with harmonies. I mean, I know there are people who can hear harmonies, you know, just automatically, but I I can't. And I might might find one that works, but it's going to be based on like one or two notes. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, so playing the ukulele uh, and then... Shortly afterwards, after I got good enough with those four chords, I asked Connor if I could join the praise team. And he was like, well, do you know C, G, A, and F? And I was like, I sure do know C, G, A, and F. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so I started playing that. And I guess I probably, uh, at the time, we had a percussionist. um, And then when he left and went to school in California, I started, uh, I guess I was the the one to go. So I started playing the, the djembe. We have two djembe at the church, and um, and gradually I've gotten better. I I think, um, well, to answer your question, the experience has been great. Uh, it has not only given me uh, an appreciation for playing music, but it has greatly enhanced my appreciation for listening to music, too. And I've, you and I have had lots of conversations where it's like, where I'm like, you have to listen to this song because check this bass line out. It is awesome. And I start to hear, and I'd like to be able to start hearing more instruments and, and the way those things work too, but particularly with percussion. I, I, 
every almost every song that I I listen to, I'm I'm trying to pick out how the way that drummist was thinking, and their approach to the song, and uh, and then trying to think, okay, how can I bring that into the music to that that I play? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's been it's been sort of uh, altering into how I I don't listen to music the same way at all uh, anymore. <clears throat> and uh but you appreciate it more i think yeah it's yeah. great i love mm-hmm. it um so yep well it's been so fun to watch kind of that development from ground zero yeah, it's and especially because it's something i care so much about <laughs> yeah it's yeah. really fun that now we can yeah we can kind of share that space kind of that, together yeah so. um i would say uh i i think i've started to try and branch out a little bit uh like i started with the gym bay and then there was a snare at church, so I played a little bit of the snare, and then I did a little bit with the kick drum, and I think I just need to stick to djembe. I think I don't anything that I hold in my hands, like like whether it's a tennis racket, a baseball bat, or drumsticks, they all none of them work as well as if I'm just using hands and yeah feet. hands, <laughs> not even feet, because I tried the bass and I can't keep keep up with the kick drum. But anyways, it's been great, um, and uh, yeah. I love it. So, well, it's sounding great. Thanks, Craig. When I'll tell you, this is amazing to me. When I got home, the first thing I wanted to do was go see my brother Jimmy, because Jimmy's one year younger than me. He's now he was killed in a car accident. Uh, was a pastor of a church, but when, growing up, Jimmy hated my guts. I mean, I could. I knew I could push buttons and get him. I would. I could turn him into a raving lunatic within two minutes. I mean, I was a. I was a professional at it. <laughs> so you could probably do that with Aaron. Yeah, I'm yeah. guessing. So, oh, yeah. So, uh, uh, but I mean, I, I mean, and he, I could just every time he would just be ranting, angry. I would see this hate in his eyes. His eyes would be filled, and he was always like, "You wait. Someday I'm going to win. I'm going to beat you someday." He did. He became a Christian before me. You know. So <laughs> so I couldn't. He was living in a Christian. And so I couldn't wait to go to see him when I got back just to test. So my test. And so I, I'm we he he knows I'm coming. So he's waiting in the yard. And so we meet in the middle of the yard. And I am not joking when we when we met eye to eye. And this has been almost three years since I had seen him. I, when we met eye to eye. I looked into his eyes and I could see there was all that hate that I'd seen forever was completely gone. And I saw nothing but compassion and love. He fell on my neck and started begging me for forgiveness for for getting angry with me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, I'm the one that should be asking you for forgiveness because I'm the one that was... The, you know, I, I instigated all this crap. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember we were just holding each other. And I remember saying to myself and to God, I'm saying, God, I know you're real. Because if you can do this with him and change him this way, I know that you're real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of time for me at that point. Yeah. And, uh, that was sort of what sealed it for you. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, the reality of God was so confirmed just by looking into into the eyes of my brother. Hmm. And so on Friday, I, I, I'd been going to a revival service at this church, and I don't even remember the preacher's name, but I remember he had an ichthus that he wore in his lapel, 
And he just kept pushing me every night, man, you need to get set. You know, just, I mean, just every night pushing me. And I would come so close every night. I just <laughs> couldn't quite make myself do it. And I was still had, a, I still had some marijuana left. Okay. And, um, and so I'd go after church and smoke marijuana. But, uh, but at one point it was like on Wednesday night or something. I said, well, if I become a Christian, will you give me that fish that's on your lapel? He said, "Man, I'll give you my coat. Wow. <laughs> so you can have the foul. Go buy. I mean, I'll do whatever. You know, so yeah. you get saved." And so, uh, so I, we, I went to the revival. It was Friday night. You know, I'm, I'm sitting on my porch step. I live out in the country, and uh, I'm sitting. I got my last joint in my hand, like this. And I'm going, God. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna smoke this joint. Get stoned. This will be the last time I ever get stoned. Tomorrow night, I'm gonna give my heart to you. I am, again, I'm not kidding. I heard a voice inside me say, if you smoke that joint, I will have nothing to do with you. Wow. It's over between us. It's over. Hmm. I took it. I threw it on the ground. I stomped it in the ground. I laid prostrate on my face before God and just started begging him, begging him for forgiveness, hmm. begging him. Wow. For, and at, when, I, when I started laying there pre- begging, I just felt this kind of hand come down on the back of my head and just lift me up. We don't like awkwardness. We don't like pain. Yeah. We don't like uh, any kind of discomfort. But if you if you make yourself feel some small suffering, you can at least get comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will still hurt. Yeah. It's still suffering. It doesn't stop being suffering. Right. But but at least you've been there before. Yeah. And you you know you know what it takes to get through. Yeah. I mean, I feel like. In a in a sense, this is sort of the way I was raised. Um, I was never raised with this like uh, butterfly look at the world. It, it was always yeah. pretty pessimistic. Like, son, life is going to be hard. Is what my dad would say a lot. Um, and so, like, and he and he wasn't doing that so that I would, you know, despair all the time. But he was doing that so that so that maybe I would grow accustomed to the idea so that whenever suffering does happen, I, I have the ability to, f- to face it in a, you know, in a way yeah. that I wouldn't have otherwise if I had thought everything was you know, happy and sunny all the time. Well, it also makes the happy moments better. Yeah. You know, if you're not trying to create a happy moment and then the happy moment does come, yeah. it's so much better. Yeah, it's great. And it's easier to let it go, too, if you're mm-hmm. not trying to grasp it or, you know, control it, yeah. make the day as happy as possible. Yeah. How, you know, how many books are there about maximizing happiness? Yeah. It's too many. Yeah. You could fill a books a million with it. Yeah. I, I don't think happiness is the, is the, the most important thing to pursue in life. This is something that I've, that I've been considering, like, the different stages of my life. And... I kind of I came to the full realization of this, but I am in the period of my life where I am learning. You know, like okay. I have I have small responsibilities. Like I have a son who's very small. I have a wife who's very easy to take care of. So like I'm starting to have responsibilities. Before this, it was it was like I was just seeking adventure in every way. You and I would go crawling around in the tunnels of Jackson. Yeah kind of climbing mountains all the time kind of thing and not and just learning about uh 
I don't know what the world is like. Um, but but then but now you I, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm in this period where um, I'm learning so much, and not like the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. It's like it's like what can I take? How much can I take? Can I take it? Yeah. Uh, and it also is like how much do I know about God? Where is my relationship with Him? Um, it's also you know, what do I want my relationship with Reagan to look like? And I, and I started thinking about this because in the church, there's, there are these elders that are in this totally different part of life who, when called upon to ask, or when called upon to teach Sunday school, they can, it's easy, you know, they, they have all this knowledge that they can bring to the table. And so I'm not really at that point right now. I'm still, I'm not in the part where I can, I can really cohesively, you know, give a lesson, a Sunday school lesson like they can, you know. And even if you could, you haven't owned it yet. Right. It's not yours. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard, like, this is not a really easy time. There's, there's been a lot of times where I'm like, I felt very unqualified, unprepared, uh, kind of like, you know, unimportant in some ways because all I, because I, because my body, I just feel like I'm learning all this stuff mm-hmm. about what it takes to be a man. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad you brought that up because I've been feeling the same way. Ansel and I have been talking about this lately. Man. And I, you and I haven't talked about this yet, so no. this is really cool. Um, there have been a lot of opportunities at my job right now to get, to, to get extra hours uh, to work some really crazy, crazy hours. Okay. Um, like third shift stuff and things like that. Okay. Um, and when, when Angela and I were talking about, you know, should I take that on for a short time? It was, it was right before our son was born. Mm -hmm. Um, part of it, but, you know, one factor was, well, you know, if, if there's, if there's money involved, that's always a good thing, you know, with a, with a newborn coming, that's important. But also the, the big factor that we both thought, okay, this is the most important thing to consider when trying to figure out you know, should, should I work that many hours in the week? Is this too much? The big thing was I need to know if I can do it. Like, I don't know what my limit is. Mm -hmm. And it's really important at this point in my life that I figure that out. Yeah. How how well do I function on 60 hours a week, 60 hours working a week? Yeah. How well do I function on 80 hours? Mm -hmm. Like, am I, where, when am I more productive? How much is too much? When does it get stressful? Yeah. How long can I sustain that? Mm-hmm. And uh, and when I said that, Angela was like, "Yeah, that's right. Like you do need to figure that out. That's mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. This is this is the time of life to discover that yeah. about yourself. Yeah. So yeah, to have that encouragement was really helpful. So I completely yeah. get what you're saying. Yeah. And so I think, and and this is this is the and here's the reason I brought this up because. My question through this whole podcast where we, you've been talking about all these experiments that you've been taking on, where I've been talking about these hard workouts that I've been putting myself through. Yeah. My question then in my head has been, how long is this, how long can we do this? How long is this sustainable? And I don't think it's forever. This learning phase? No, this this whole thing of putting yourself through suffering. Oh, okay. So that you can learn where your limitations are. Because, and the reason I, and the and I, I kept thinking, like, I don't need to ask that question because, you know, 
as long as we stay committed, we'll keep doing it. But I think the answer is you don't have to. I mean, there will be a point where you figure out where your limitation is. You go to that point, and once you've been to that point enough, you can be, you you can be, you know, satisfied with where you settle yourself eventually. And here's a great example. Okay. Um, yeah, and, I need an example. Here. Okay, this is, and it, this may this may be a a small enough example that doesn't that you don't quite understand it, or that I don't quite understand either. But one thing I thought about was when my dad and I build fires. There's two fires in the cabin. Usually, um, I build one and he builds one when we go, you know, and so we both, we each. And I'm like all natural, man. Newspaper, small shreds of paper, small sticks, bigger sticks, logs. I like, you know, light a match. I light the newspaper. I try and blow this fire to add, you know, to life and all that. You know, I'm like trying to prove to myself that I can make a fire out of nothing but matches and wood, basically. Dad, on the other hand, he goes in the other room. He throws a bunch of logs in the fire, some smaller logs maybe, maybe a little bit of newspaper, douses the whole thing in kerosene, diesel, white gas, whatever is whatever flammable liquid's on, on hand. Yeah. He just throws it on there. Throw. He doesn't even use a match. He's like, he uses a candle lighter which he also uses to light his pipe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he just has no qualms about doing that. Um, and so it, does that kind of answer your question where, like, he's gotten to the point where he's proved he can make a fire with just newspaper and logs and wood, and he doesn't have to prove himself that to himself anymore. He can throw kerosene on it, and he feels fine about it. And so I wonder if that applies in a bigger spectrum, like, and I'm not saying that when you get to a certain age, you don't have to try hard anymore. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying more like you'd, you've gotten to the point where you know where you're, what you're capable of, and you can be content with maybe not doing that you know, every day, all day kind of thing. Something that you're interested in is, the, is gender roles and, and, sp- and the role of masculinity. Mm-hmm. What, is that, what does that entail? Because that covers a lot of... Yeah a lot of ground Um, and it's something also that I'm interested in and and something that I'm finding out in my own life of the biggest question you know in everything has been like do I have what it takes and that sort of has been like what masculinity is 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 finding out whether and hopefully you do have what it takes so I'd like to hear like what 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 did you mean exactly by that Well, I definitely didn't mean gender politics. I couldn't care less about gender politics. I mean, I know that's not the hot topic issue right now, and so we have to, you know, we have to be savvy to deal with the culture. But I, I, I certainly don't have any interest in furthering that conversation. What I think of is um, starting in about the fifties, in the sixties, you know, the Christian Church in America really became feminized, and it it really stripped men of the masculine Christian role. Um, it, was, it was part of women's liberation. It was part of equality. You know, it was all for good reasons. But it, it really feminized the church so that um, the women did most of the work at the church. You know, they would, they would do the Bible studies. They would do the children's church. And the men would maybe do a construction project. Maybe there'd be something like that. But the percentages began to skew heavily uh, towards women. 
and men were really left out. Then Promise Keepers and some other movements came along to try to bring men back into the church and to make the church more sensitive to to men. But they also wanted to be um, accepted by the culture, you know. And so that's a really tricky minefield to walk around in now. Because if even like right now, if any of us say it, says anything that sounds paternalistic, um, our listeners now are going to just be mad, mm-hmm. you know, because this is dynamite. Uh, but all that said, young men don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. Uh, they're biologically and psychologically fitted to f- to march out and conquer and fight something. That is our background, that's our past, that's our nature. And then they're taught that anything that even sounds like fighting or conquering is bad and evil. So um, they're left with nothing to do. If, um, if they press hard and try hard, then they'll uh, make everyone angry. If they're passive and meek in a negative way, um, they can just be quietly overlooked. Mm-hmm. So it's a problem. Um, so what they do is they find the one outlet where they can fight and conquer and um, battle, and that's in a video game. You know, No wonder they love video games. It's the one place that you can still be a man and do what men do, mm-hmm. um, whether that's building a city or tearing one down. You know, you do it on a video game. Uh, so I would love for our culture to recognize that men are just men. And uh, rather than shaming them for having the impulse to do those things, we should channel them into doing those things well, you know? That's huge. Um, for uh, If there was one place that if you, if, I think if the church wanted to make the biggest difference on culture in America as a whole, mm-hmm. you should reach, you should dial it in on how to reach young men. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, that is my firm, firm, firm mm-hmm. belief. Uh, high school students about to go out of out of the house it's like they have got to know uh one that they can handle it um in a way that's positive and two they've got to know that they have support wow. when they can't that's great uh, um yeah and you would see um crime rates go down you yeah. would see marriage rates go up oh. you would see <clears throat> dads interacting with their kids um mm-hmm. and to have that i mean it's not like the danger is like guys generally suck more than women. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you know, we're not nearly as gracious. We're not nearly as um, you know. There's there's a whole lot of things that my wife has that I don't that I wish I did, right. and it's true in a lot of women as well. It's that way, and um, but that doesn't mean that we should just we should we should just. Um, resign males to the back pew or the the construction crews um you know uh they they have a role to play and i think that if you wanted to if you i think and all that back to say like 
<clears throat> church, I think, I mean, uh, if, if our, if our, if our goal is to sort of improve the world that we live in towards Christ, the answer is not in a thousand kid VBS where right. they sing dumb songs. Uh, I think the, the, the answer would better be to set up shop outside of high school and, you know, and that's, you know, wow. so there's a whole lot that I, that mm-hmm. you can talk about with all that, but I absolutely agree. Wow. Um, I think it, it's been a recent thing for me to realize how important those that demographic plays in the, in the culture and how much the church could grow into that mm-hmm. fairly easily. Wonderful. So. Wow. Yeah, that's great and well said. Yeah. Um, yeah, our culture values feminine traits um, and it is very suspicious of masculine traits. Um, and so, like you said, your wife, what did you say? You you, you you picked one particular adjective to describe your wife, and it was a very feminine adjective. Gracious. Gracious, okay. Yeah, so, and we know in our culture that's that's what you're aiming for, be gracious. What about, what if we had a culture where um, the, the champion, the really uh, most admired traits were like risk-taking or um, defending the weak, you know? We, we've lost appreciation for the good masculine traits um, and we've elevated the feminine traits so um, in in a lot of churches uh, around America the men who are active are active in feminine ways um, effeminate ways singing music you know things like that uh, to working with children that kind of thing um, if if they want to do something that's sort of traditionally masculine they go somewhere else you know they do it at the gym they do it in the boy scouts or something mm-hmm. like that okay um now right there we probably lost half our audience because the girls <laughs> hated that i know i know they hated it you're just not supposed to say these things you know <laughs> but and i've been saying a lot of things that shouldn't be said okay good um good so yeah. <laughs> well i, I and we'll i just keep the train rolling okay well i put my whole I found that whole argument on the personalities of Jesus and Paul, you know, both masculine, very masculine. Mm-hmm. Jesus, um, you can accuse um, Paul of a lot of things, but being mousy and weak and passive is not one, you know. And these are our two key role models in the New Testament. Um, Paul would <laughs> Paul would be hated in America right mm-hmm. now. He would be hated in most churches in America right now, mm. Jesus would be hated. Uh, so in one sense, it's just a cultural shift, and maybe it'll shift back, you right. know. Uh, hopefully it will. But I think wh- what will make it shift back is scarcity and um, depression, and I mean financial depression, you know, mm. because there was a time when f- in order for culture and families to survive, somebody had to rip animals apart with strong upper body muscles in order to feed the children. Mm -hmm. Somebody had to go and kill an animal. Somebody had to chop down trees in order to keep the babies from freezing over the winter. Mm -hmm. And now all that's gone. I mean, it's gone. And in fact, now, um, you know, now you're evil if you kill an animal, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, so um, that comes with prosperity. We have the luxury of being... um, passively feminine in our culture Mm -hmm. 
And when, I guess, the next economy collapses and everybody's just struggling to eat and feed their children, then they will go back to admiring men again. Mm. You know? But I don't see it happening until then. Yeah. But then a more direct question, what do we do with these young guys who love video games and nothing else? Well, first of all, I don't, I don't blame them as much as the culture does, you know, because um, they've been taught that they have to suppress every impulse in their heart and soul that smacks of anything masculine. Mm-hmm. And so they do. They hide in their room and they play video games. Um, I think changing the stigma on, and the attitude towards those young men would help, you know. Hey, everybody. If you'd like to help us with this podcast, there are several different ways you can do that. One is to leave us a review. Another is to click subscribe. Um, You can share any episodes you particularly enjoy on social media for new listeners to hear. And also check out the show notes for where you can follow us because we'll be posting updates as this experiment continues to grow. So thanks for listening.